0: Volume 1, Chapter 19 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mowat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 19 Time to the yielding mind his change imparts. He varies notions, he alters hearts. Crab. FROM THE SAME TO THE SAME. NEW YORK, OCTOBER 19TH. ONCE MORE I FIND MYSELF IN MY QUIET LITTLE CHAMBER AT PLEASER'S. IT HAS NOT BEEN INHABITED SINCE I LEFT. EVERY DEAR, FAMILIAR ARTICLE OF FURNITURE SEEMS TO HAVE A TONGUE TO WELCOME ME BACK. I LOOK ABOUT ME AND THE PLACE IS PEOPLED WITH PHANTOM-LIKE RECOLLECTIONS. Truly life is but a dream, and death is the hour of our awakening from fantastic slumber. We arrived a day before yesterday, after an eleven days' voyage. As we stepped on shore, a crowd of little newsboys thronged about the passengers. I was hardly certain that land was beneath my feet, before a book was thrust in my face, and a shrill voice sang out. New publication, translation from the French, just out. The title of the book caught my eye, and to my delight I found it to be Ellen's Tale. While I was hurriedly extracting a shilling from my purse to pay for the book, a voice beside me exclaimed in a tone of surprise, You don't say so. Why, it's you, isn't you? So you don't know me you never did know much that's a green one i looked around and beheld billy's saucy rosy face peering into mine it was no wonder that i hardly knew him the neat dark-colored blouse which he wore to protect his clothes the waterproof cap on his head and the large carefully bound cover of leather in which his books were wrapped were not at all suited to the ragged urchin with a swollen eye and bruised face who answered in my recollection to the name of billy why billy said i after the first look of wonder why i hardly know you when have you seen miss ellen and how are you all right, answered billy in a rather boisterous tone all right. miss ellen's as good as as good as pumpkin pie mother gets along bravely with her washing and she's got two or three boarders. netta can read and write and sew and bubby's picking up father's getting better and granny's dead so we're all thriving and how is mark the smasher asked i jestingly the boy took it for granted that i must feel a real interest in mark and answered Mark's well. Big bug as ever. Mark's doing a great business. I intend to be a smasher myself one of these days. As he uttered these last words, he doubled up his fist for a moment and threw himself into a boxing position. I laughed and said, This book, Billy, how does it sell? Goes off like hotcakes. Can't get enough of em." before i could ask any more questions an old man who seemed inclined to buy attracted his attention and he darted towards this person lustily making way for himself by pushing sideways through the crowd we entered a carriage and in half an hour blanche and i were at fleecer's door We parted with our kind friends, Mr. and Mrs. Elwell and Amy, on the dock. Blanche has been very ill throughout the voyage, and has gradually wasted away, but she is uncomplaining and as silent as ever. Fleecer received me at the door, eyed my little creole waiting-maid, as he called her, escorted me to my room and then showed me a small closet with a window opening in the entry which was appropriated to blanche as we were ascending the stairs the first person whom i encountered was laura hilson she stopped and affected great delight on seeing me but this pretended pleasure was not reciprocated i could not forbear in inquiring after my friends the willards and merritts they are all well replied laura evelyn looks as beautiful as ever and is a great belle i see her every day so does the colonel for he is still a reigning favorite this last sentence was uttered in a malicious tone and though in all probability a mere jest it still troubled me i turned away hastily mounted the stairs and as soon as i could dismiss fleecer who seemed inclined to remain and talk commenced changing my travelling dress i was more anxious than ever to see evelyn and ellen and made up my mind to pay a visit to union place forthwith my toilette was soon completed I was rather unwilling to leave Blanche, for at times her mind appears to wander, but she now seemed so calm and so completely absorbed in unpacking and arranging my clothes that I thought I could absent myself with safety. Before I had been in the city three-quarters of an hour, I found myself in one of the Broadway omnibuses on my way to Union Place i arrived at mr merritt's and was admitted by the grinning mulatto waiter who recognized me the other ladies were not at home he said but i would find mrs merritt in the drawing-room he opened the door of the front parlor for me and i entered no person was visible i was about to cross the room and ring the bell when my ear caught the sound of a low rich voice Proceeding from the back parlour and reading in an impassioned tone the following passage from Byron's Sarandopolis. Let me deem that some unknown influence, some sweet oracle, communicates between us, though unseen in absence, and attracts us to each other. I did not immediately recognise the voice, but it was not Evelyn's, nor did it proceed from feminine lips my fears whispered to whom that musical tone belonged but my hopes denied the suggestion as soon as i could gather courage i advanced towards the folding doors which were open my footsteps were unheard i beheld evelyn sitting upon the sofa with her cheek leaning upon her hand and her exuberant hair falling in such thick clusters about her shoulders that her face was almost entirely concealed. Her eyes were cast down, and even through the shading ringlets I could discern the bright flush that crimsoned her cheeks. Upon an ottoman beside her sat Colonel Damereau, with a volume of Byron's poems in his hand. Ever and anon, as he read, he glanced at Evelyn, but her eyes remained fixed upon the floor. When he finished the passage, which I have quoted, he paused, slowly closed the book, and very gently laid his hand upon the one of Evelyn's, which was lying on the arm of the sofa. She started slightly, and, raising her eyes, they encountered not colonel Damerow's, but mine she sprang up with a terrified scream and de- gazed at me as though she beheld an apparition colonel Damerow also rose for a moment not one of us moved we all seemed petrified i was the first one to break the spell and advance towards evelyn the instant i approached she threw herself into my arms exclaiming oh i thought it was your spirit come to rebuke me before i could reply except by returning her embrace colonel damereau perfectly regained his self-possession addressing me in his earnest and melodious voice he expressed great delight at my return railed but very playfully at evelyn's nervousness and conversed for us until we were both able to speak I made some sort of unmeaning reply to his courteous salutation, and then turned to Evelyn and asked after her husband, her mother, and sister. They are all well, but they are not home, answered Evelyn, in a voice still tremulous from agitation. And the little cherub? Evelyn's face instantly brightened, and she replied, Lilla do you know that we call her Lilla because she is so like a lily bud a very frond lily you shall see her she ran out of the room and quickly returned with the child in her arms a beautiful but delicate-looking infant of six months the babe did indeed resemble a lily for its skin was white as a snowdrift and of the finest texture its eyes were of that clear celestial blue which we'd never see except in the innocent eyes of infants and its hair which just began to curl in short silken rings about its broad brow was of a golden flaxen colour there was something almost unearthly in its loveliness an angelic expression in its soft eyes and about its sweet lips which made the heart thrill and forced us to remember that we are not of this world alone. Evelyn tried to place the lovely creature on my lap, but it twinned its arms about the young mother's neck, and shyly hid its smiling face in her bosom. While I was conversing with Evelyn, Colonel Damoreau attracted the babe's attention by his glittering chain and watch, and finally lured it into his arms as he tenderly bent to kiss the infant's forehead my ears which were always quick caught the sounds of words which were doubtless intended for evelyn alone he murmured in a very low and touching voice when i first saw thy favorite child methought my jealous heart would break but the unconscious infant smiled i kissed it for the mother's sake I knew that Evelyn heard these whispered lines, for her varying countenance ever betrays her emotions. I was beginning to feel uncomfortable when the bell rang, and a moment afterwards Mrs. Willard and Ellen entered. They greeted me with hearty warmth. Ellen's cheek was wet with tears of joy as it touched mine. Those tears enhanced me to the values of my existence we have missed you so much said mrs willard i have not found a substitute whom could fill your place as counsellor assistant and friendly sympathizer the fact is kate you are a most convenient friend and you always delight in being a convenience which other people hate without vanity i may say that mrs willard spoke truly i will not pretend to relate to you the conversation which ensued we all talked loudly and sometimes all of us together relating adventures asking and answering questions and last not least admiring the lovely infant which evelyn still held mrs willard appears to be as fond of the child as if it were her own it sleeps with her at night for she would not permit evelyn's rest to be disturbed by its presence and is the grandmother who performs the larger portion of the mother's offices the child is the idol of the whole house mrs willard told me that even mr merritt so far forgot his dignity as to creep about on the floor in playing with the darling infant and that he was never so proud and so happy as when dancing his little daughter on his knee my stay was short for i felt anxious about blanche in spite of the earnest entreaties of evelyn and ellen and their mother who wished me to remain i persisted in returning home before dinner nor was colonel damereau's persuasive voice wholly silent He begged that I would yield to the wishes of my friends, but his petition was also unsuccessful. "'I will go with you,' said Ellen, tying on her bonnet, which she had thrown upon the sofa. "'And if Miss Bolton will permit me, I will escort her,' said Colonel Damoreau, courteously. "'My permission I would willingly have withheld, for I desired to converse with Ellen unrestrainedly.' but politeness shut the door upon inclination colonel damereau walked between ellen and myself and soon made himself so agreeable that i forgot my disappointment his manners are so insinuating that it is almost impossible to mistrust or think ill of him yet you dread the charm even while its spell-like fascination is binding your reason we had almost reached fleecers "'when we unexpectedly encountered Mr. Willard. "'His appearance was so much improved, "'he looked so much livelier, "'in so much better health, "'that I hardly recognized him. "'Miss Bolton,' he cried, "'extending both hands to me, "'is that you, how charmingly you are looking? "'Have you never remarked "'that the appearance which outward objects wear "'varies with the state of our mind?' and that the change is generally in ourselves though we think we behold it in others mr willard reminded me of crab's lines it is the soul that sees the outward eyes present the object but the mind decries and thence delight disgust or cool indifference rise when minds are joyful then we look around and what is seen is all on fairy ground again they sicken and on every view cast their own dull and melancholy hue to my great surprise mr willard insisted upon my taking his arm and turned back to accompany me home him upon his improved appearance and he answered why i think sometimes that i have recovered my health by some miracle i never enjoyed life before miss catherine miss catherine you don't know what it is to have such a daughter as my ellen indeed i am sure you don't i could hardly repress a smile at the earnestness with which he persuaded me of this self-evident fact ellen and i are cronies actual cronies he continued of a fine afternoon we sometimes take a trip to hoboken together and walk through the elysian fields sometimes we take the stage and ride to the narrows, and sometimes we spend the day fishing. You can't think of how fond Ellen is of those little excursions in the country, and she is always planning some amusement for me. It is worth getting up in the morning to hear her read for a half an hour before breakfast. Then she takes me round amongst her poor folks, and they know me almost as well as they know her. We've had pleasant times together since you saw us mr willard was quite out of breath and obliged to pause i had never heard him speak so much at a time before my surprise would have kept me silent had he continued but we were already in front of fleecer's door mr willard and colonel damereau bade us good morning ellen entered with me but i detained her for a few moments in the hall before we ascended to my room "'I wished to propose her to see Blanche "'and related that unfortunate being's history "'as far it was known to me. "'Ellen listened with sympathizing attention "'and answered that she hoped it would be in her power "'to be of some service. "'How are all your good people?' inquired I, adding. "'I have seen Billy, and he was selling your book.' "'Was he?' answered Ellen." i was not aware that it had appeared i am sure you hardly knew billy he is so altered i had great difficulty in effecting any change in his character or manners but he has now become so attached to me that in my presence he is becoming perfectly docile i instruct him for an hour every sunday morning and often succeed in persuading him to go to church instead of playing about the streets Netta and the mother but there is no need of recounting how much trouble they have given me the father appeared to be an incorrigible drunkard but two weeks ago the labors of six months were rewarded and i succeeded in making him sign the temperance pledge at first the rejection was dreadful he was melancholy and the most miserable and seemed most inclined to commit suicide i did what i could to ameliorate his condition and his restoration now seems complete i looked at ellen with inexpressible pleasure while she was uttering these words but she needed not my praise her heart's approval was sufficient reward i passed on and she followed me to my chamber on opening the door I was surprised to behold the room in almost greater confusion than I had left it some hours before. Open trunks, and their contents half emptied upon the floor, band-boxes, carpet-bags, and travelling-clothes were lying about in the most inelegant disorder. Blanche was sitting at the window, with her forehead leaning against the pane, and her eyes intently fixed upon the street. She did not notice our entrance, I pronounced her name, and she turned slowly round as though to receive my commands. Her face wore its usual troubled expression, and her eyes looked red and wearied. They had been strained and watching. Were you watching for me? I inquired. No, she replied in an almost inaudible tone, and her eyes bent upon the ground. Were you seeking anybody else? she looked at me and then glanced again at the window but did not answer i am now quite convinced that at times her mind wanders ellen and i instantly busied ourselves in arranging the room and blanche unbidden took part in our labours i remarked that she seemed fatigued and begged her to go to her own chamber and lie down She invariably embays me with almost childlike submission, and instantly glided out of the apartment. "'How young! How beautiful! How interesting she is!' exclaimed Ellen, as the door closed upon Blanche. "'But she is certainly deranged. Her eyes look so sad, and yet so wild.' i would not permit myself to be persuaded of her positive insanity and tried to convince ellen that sorrow and madness were twin sisters ellen dined with me that day shall i confess that my eyes involuntarily wandered around the room in search of a face which they did not discover there were several empty chairs by the table but they were filled before dinner was ended filled by strangers I could not command my voice to ask after an absent friend. I have been here two days and have not seen him. Neither have I made a single inquiry. Evening. Dearest Elizabeth, my hand trembles as I write, and I can hardly frame language for my thoughts. I was stealing through the dimly lighted entry to my chamber this evening when I was suddenly accosted. Miss Catherine, Kate, said a voice beside me a voice husky with joyful emotion i looked up and beheld mr elton he had just returned from a short excursion in the country thrown off my guard by surprise and joy i incautiously exclaimed oh i am so delighted to see you i was afraid that you had left the house I had hardly spoken these words before I repented them, for their effect was visible upon Mr. Elton's countenance. "'Permit me to say a few words to you,' said he, in an earnest voice. "'Excuse me for now,' I replied as calmly as possible. "'It is too late for me to return to the parlour. "'Then, for once, admit me into your boudoir. "'Do not refuse this trivial request. "'My peace of mind depends upon you granting it.' "'I regret that I am forced to refuse you,' I replied. "'But I can take no refusal. "'You must listen to me this once. "'Ah, have you forgotten the past?' he whispered. "'Those happy days, the only bright ones of my life.' "'My heart mutely answered "'that I remembered them but too well. "'Are you not satisfied by my repentance? "'Can you not pardon the one fault?' "'which I have expiated by so many years of misery?' "'I have pardoned it,' I answered, "'but I fear that my words were scarcely audible. "'Then why can we not banish all unpleasant recollections "'and be what we have been? "'Because we are neither of us fitted to be more than we are to each other.' "'Catherine,' he began, Do not deceive yourself. Ask your heart why you now tremble. If I have still the power of any emotion in your breast, I cannot be wholly an object of indifference to you. I was trying to frame an answer, perhaps one which would preclude all hope, perhaps one, but I do not know myself what I was about to say. When my room door opened, and Blanche, steadily passed out with a candle in her hand i was in hopes that as we stood at the further end of the entry she would not perceive us with slow steps she approached and was about to descend the stairs when a slight movement of mr elton's attracted her attention she looked up started back and gazed an instant in his face then rushed towards him with a loud shriek uttered his name, and fell fainting at his feet. Judge my surprise, my terror, my horror! Mr. Elton raised her in his arms, bore her to my room, to which I mechanically led the way, and laid her upon the sofa. I had hardly strength to dash water in her face or chafe her hands, and Mr. Elton, whispering something about sending me proper assistance, retired. In a few moments Blanche revived. She opened her eyes, looked fearfully about her, took my hand, and placing it upon her now burning head, said, I am mad, am I not? I bent over her, and my tears fell upon her face, for strange as it may seem, the horrible thought, which must now be always connected with her image, made her dearer to me than ever. She wiped away the tears as though they had been her own, and asked, "'Have I seen anybody? Did I dream? My head is frightfully confused. How dreadful it is to be so bewildered!' "'You must go to bed and sleep,' I replied. She instantly rose, and I supported her to her chamber. I remained by her side until she sank into a quiet sleep.' With how troubled a heart did I then return to my room to pin you these hasty lines? You well know how great was my grief when my confidence in Mr. Elton was first shaken. But now, in what darker light must I regard him? End of chapter 19